0: This is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work and Play podcast. Well, we're embarking on a new series here at Disney at Work and Play. Imagineering Explored is an opportunity to deep dive into best practices of imagineering. We look at what works and, more importantly, why it works. And on occasion, we'll even make application to life outside Disney's gates. This first podcast in the series looks at great themed transitions that occur in the parks, particularly as you move from one setting to another. These are dramatic transitions that are often so subtle that you hardly recognize you've moved from one locale to another. We'll look at some great examples across the globe and discuss how the elements support the transition. From the Magic Kingdom to Disneyland Paris, from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge to the happiest place on Earth, we'll look at some of the most enveloping and clever Imagineering design elements ever created. We'll even see their application from any brick-and-mortar store to navigating websites. Join us as we examine great themed transitions in this, our first Imagineering Explored podcast. By the way, I should just mention a couple of housekeeping things before we get underway. My apologies that this podcast is a little bit late. It is the holiday season, and frankly, it is difficult to get a podcast out on time. However, I am promising you podcasts and that they will occur, and many of your favorite podcasts aren't even delivering at this time. I promise to deliver. Just hang with me. The best thing you can do Is what we suggest doing all the time subscribe to disney at play subscribe to disney at work because when we send out a podcast we send out an attached notes page or page from our website that not only alerts you to the podcast but also gives you links and photos and videos and other things that support the concepts that we cover in the podcast. So be sure to head out to disneyatplay.com and subscribe. Also subscribe at disneyatwork.com so you can be notified of both podcasts when they come out. Now, moving forward, we want to give you some examples of what we mean by this concept of transition from one land to another or from one area of the park to another perhaps the most quintessential example that i have heard given over the years comes from the crystal palace you may be familiar with it but the crystal palace sits at an apex that borders between main street usa in the magic kingdom and adventureland and one of the very interesting that when you look at the building you see a central glass dome that is flanked by two wings. Often you look at this and you go, okay, um, this looks very symmetrical, but if you look more carefully, you'll see that one side of the Crystal Palace, the side um, that leans toward Main Street, has much more Victorian architectural details than the other side. The other side, as you approach Adventureland, actually has a green and white canopy that kind of helps transition you into this the colonial area or colonial era of Adventureland. Added to this is the the change in vegetation, the change in lighting elements, the change in um, the direction of the street. And the use of bridges and other elements to kind of create this experience. You may have seen this before and you may have noticed that transition. It's often commented on by other uh, other Disney fans, but I want to extend that a little further. A lot of people haven't noticed that those same elements actually occur inside the Crystal Palace. For instance, When you look in there, you'll see not only the Victorian elements in the columns and in the gingerbread throughout and in the lighting and so forth. But take a look and you'll actually see that there's a a lot of foliage, flowers, more tropical flowers even, that emerge within the interior, even the wall hangings will be one of two subjects. Either you'll have wall hangings of Victorian architecture or you'll have wall hangings of um, natural landscapes or of uh, foliage or of plants and flowers and the like. And it all carries out the same kind of effort to bridge you between what is Main Street USA to Adventureland. Now the amazing thing about the Magic Kingdom, is the same transition element continues to occur as you move from land to land. Well, at least mostly through the park. For example, let's move through Adventureland, past the Jungle Cruise, past the Enchanted Tiki Room, and even past Pirates of the Caribbean, and then exit out the back of Adventureland, where we'll circle around and eventually arrive in Frontierland. One of the very clever elements of this corner of the park is that it will take you from a Spanish-Caribbean courtyard, architecturally designed that way, and it will transition you into the, the Spanish Southwest. And so you go under a portal. Portals are actually big elements in making transitions. In Adventureland, you go underneath a portal or... Uh, what is kind of an open air roof and then you head and you make a turn and you curve and you go past the building which deals which allows you to play the pirate scavenger um, game it used to be called the crow's nest which was a uh, retail outlet years and years ago again crow's nest alluding toward that pirate theme or ship sailing theme But now it's a little bit more rustic and you move toward what is the Golden Oak Outpost and then on to Pecos Bills. Golden Oak Outpost has a lot of Spanish adobe brick utilized into it. It's rustic and it ties into where you have been in um, in the Adventureland experience. And then it completes that segue as you move around the corner and head into Pecos Bills which again offers Spanish food, or uh, well, <laughs> uh, Chipotle type food, um, and, and does so in a, again, a Southwest style setting. Very subtle transition that comes from Adventureland to Frontierland. Even more subtle is your transition between Frontierland and Liberty Square. Here you have a smaller portal Um, toward the side with the Frontierland signage on it, but you're actually heading over a small little brook. That brook should, well, the brook was kind of subtly integrated into the design to suggest that you are moving along um, from the Northeast of the United States out toward the Southwest and beyond. In truth, there's some, some minor challenges as you get towards Splash Mountain. We've addressed that in other places. But, but these subtleties are there. And the use, again, of water and foliage, of rock work, of fencing, of lighting. Notice the differences as you stand at this section and look in one direction at the lighting and the fencing and the architectural elements of a fort and so forth. And you then turn toward Liberty Square where you come from the rugged frontier to the civilized frontier of a Missouri style clapboard building which houses the Diamond Horseshoe restaurant. It's all very subtle, but it's but it and and the foliage changes and the and the leaves change, but it's all transitioning you from Frontierland to Liberty Square. Perhaps the most intriguing of all these transitions in the magic kingdom is when we go to the other side of liberty square not where we're at the haunted mansion but just before that we come to the columbia harbor house on on one side is the columbia harbor house on the other side is memento mori and again we go underneath a portal that becomes a second floor uh experience with the harbor house very very cool place if you've never been up there um, but what you're doing here is you are moving from colonial architectural elements, traditional colonial design elements underneath this portal. You're still, as you pass through the portal into Fantasyland, you're, you still have uh, the harbor house on the right side. But the transition is now making a very subtle um, change toward Tudor, T-U-D-O-R. T-U-D-O-R um style architecture and and then ultimately into a more European style altogether. The little garden area that was done with Tangled kind of also helps prepare you as you move from the medieval fantasy land side to a more colonialized uh, experience in Liberty Square. But what I really love, and and people don't remember it, I don't think the Tangled Buildings, the Tangled Buildings are okay. The tower is a little bit a little bit on the side of um, intrusive as you're going into the Liberty Square experience. Much better in my view, and we show an image of this at Disney at Play, is the old Fantasyland Skyway building. Here we took perhaps some Swiss-style European elements, but again, they help to kind of transition you toward um, those Swiss architectural styles that became prevalent as you move into colonial America. And it's a a little nicer, more subtle uh, transition as you you move uh, from one area to the other. So the Magic Kingdom, beyond uh, the Crystal Palace to Adventureland, offers several really great transitional points that use a number of elements. Architecture, the use of portals, they use um, passageways, natural landscaping, Uh, even music, sound effects, lots of different elements, wayfinding, signage, all to create this, this element. Now, from here, we're gonna go to Tokyo Disneyland. And we're going to go, a lot of folks aren't familiar with this park, so I'm gonna explain a couple of things. World Bazaar is a little bizarre because you're thinking you're gonna get more of an international architectural flavor. In truth, all the design elements underneath a big glass canopy that houses you from weather elements and it and lines up all along this, what is the, what would be main street of Tokyo Disney, is actually all Victorian elements. Um, but what makes this, and, and what's very cool is at the end of this street, the glass roof actually frames out your view of Cinderella Castle beyond. So it's a very, it's a beautiful and a very cool effect. But what is interesting and very different from any other main street, uh, yeah, from any other main street I can think of, is that halfway down the street, you have what would be at Magic Kingdom, Center Street, where you might, um, you might have a little transition. You have the same thing at Disneyland, but the, they're really essentially dead ends. Here at Tokyo Disney, they're not dead ends. You head toward the right and you merge into Tomorrowland. I think that transition is a little problematic because they use um, a uh, roaring 20s um, uh, style of architecture to transition you to Tomorrowland. I don't think that works. But I do think on the left-hand side, it very much works. It moves you underneath a portal again another portal and into New Orleans Square where you have a very subtle transition. In fact, actually the buildings on again in this world bazaar on the back side of the buildings. Because you don't have backside of the buildings at Disneyland or Magic Kingdom. But in Tokyo you do have the back side of the building and there are more stores and restaurants and shops and everything on the back side. And these backsides frame out how you continue your transition, in this case, into New Orleans Square. So in, a, in essence, it does the job of borrowing from both um, the French architectural styles as well as the Victorian styles of architecture as you, as you face into New Orleans Square. I have a video that you're gonna wanna take a look at. Now, it moves from the entrance of Adventureland through Swiss Family Treehouse and the Enchanted Tiki Room Jungle Cruise, the elements that you're usually familiar with when you think of Adventureland. But then it kind of moves off to a sort of Caribbean bazaar, Adventureland bazaar. And then from their transitions to a outdoor theater that has a sort of Caribbean feel and and frankly, usually a Caribbean style show And then it transitions into the French quarter architecture that you find in New Orleans. And then finally over to Main Street. It's a very subtle transition. And I must admit, not everybody's a big fan of it. Marty Sklar, who is, you know, the Imagineer of Imagineers, once talked about this area. Um, He said the Tokyo Disneyland team analyzed all the factors relating to building a new park, in um in Japan, weather was a key consideration. Disney had never built or operated a park where winter cold was a factor. To achieve guest comfort, yes, it rains and rains, and sometimes even snows during Tokyo's winter months, and heat and humidity are summer mainstays. Our team and the Oriental Land Company, owner of Tokyo Disneyland, determined it was vital to cover and close the main street with a glass canopy. Again, kind of that, that Crystal Palace kind of look. Although we're going to talk about the Crystal Palace in a moment because there's one in Tokyo Disney. While the retail shops, food facilities, and guest services are typical of the open main streets in other Disneyland-style parks around the world, two major changes give Tokyo Disney a very different look and feel. First, it's the only Magic Kingdom-style park that does not have a train station at the entrance and a railroad encircling the whole park. In truth. Um, there is a train ride that is separate that, that you actually board in Adventureland. And you'll see it in the video, see. In truth, I think this book may have been written before Shanghai Disney because while I wouldn't necessarily call Mickey Avenue Main Street, it is, nece- it is notwithstanding a Magic Kingdom style park. And it does not have a train, even though it has a train station. But here's the second part, and this is what I'm really trying to get to. Second, Center Street, taking its name from its location, bisects the World Bazaar and as a result allows guests to choose a route into the park without actually drawing them to the central plaza. What ought to have been perhaps the best weenie in any Disney park, with the glass canopy structure framing Cinderella's castle perfectly as you look into World Bazaar to the center of the park, instead is now diminished by the presence of two Escape routes. Turn east on Center Street, walk a few paces, and you're suddenly in Adventureland. Turn west, and ahead of you at the end of that vista is Tomorrowland. It's been this way for more than 30 years since Tokyo Disney opened in on April 12th of 1983. And I would venture to say that only a handful of the millions and millions of guests visiting Tokyo Disney have ever thought twice about the Center Street issue. Um, I'm part of that handful, by the way. But that doesn't make it right. It's it's true. I am a Disney purist when it comes to the importance of guest orientation and the castle's role. Make it tall enough to be seen from around the park, Walt told Herb Ryman. It's going to keep people oriented. And I do agree with that. And I do love the um, what is called the hub and spoke aspect of the wheel that composes the Magic Kingdom. But I think too often we have put emphasis on the hub and spoke and the choices of going to the center park and moving out and not enough emphasis on the wheel portion of the park. And the thing that makes this work at Tokyo Disney beyond um, in terms of total layout is that you can go left or right and you can truly cover the entire park In that outer wheel by going around the outside. And so I find, especially because they need to move millions of guests through Tokyo Disney, I think it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant move. And the transitions are, well, at least on the Adventureland New Orleans um, side of World Bazaar, it it really is impressive. You'll want to see the video. I should also make a mention of the Crystal Palace which has the center, a glass tower with the two sides flanking on both sides. But you'll again notice heavy glass and Victorian elements leaning toward World Bazaar or what would be the main Street side. And on the right side, you actually have more of an open patio type element and um, and a fencing that actually transitions quite well as you move, eventually toward Frontierland and its entrance. So I think also there's a little bit of a transition going there. I hope you have an opportunity to visit Tokyo Disneyland on some occasion because to see how all of these elements play so uniquely and so differently than any Disney park, I think it's actually the best of the Magic Kingdom parks in terms of these kinds of transition elements. Now, I want to move away from Magic Kingdoms and to a whole different place. It's Disney's Hollywood Studios. And I want to talk about Grand Avenue. A lot of people don't know what Grand Avenue is. It is the old New York Street or International Street that was in the studios. It was the back lot. It's where the, the lights were every Christmas. Um it has been changed out. And instead of a continuing set of facades that illustrate New York, it's been more transition to a Los Angeles area, i.e. Grand Avenue. And at the end of it, there is a tunnel entrance. It is um, very much in, uh, and this is such a unique transition. The tunnel entrance is very similar to the Mount Hollywood-style tunnel, um, which you may remember if you have seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because in it, Bob Hoskins makes the decision he is going to enter the tunnel and ultimately emerge into what is Toontown. And, uh, And so you remember that famous tunnel scene or entrance scene as he makes decisions about his life and moving forward and, and taking courage to find um, to find who framed Roger Rabbit. But here, we don't end up merging into Toontown, as cool as that might have been. Instead, we, we make another gradual turn in this tunnel, because what that means is to, to help make the transition, you're not seeing what's on the other side, but rather you are making a gradual turn as you come into it. And what you end up finding is that you have actually come upon a Rebel Alliance encampment, which is where Rise of the Resistance um, exists. And I just think this is a very cool uh, transition point. It, It again looks like a Los Angeles tunnel entrance on one side, but on the other side, it looks like a mountain which has been hewn and cut through, maybe with lightsabers. It is truly been kind of um, chiseled through, and you have temporary lights that are hanging in it and so forth, And, and what's interesting, one of the things I think is not working in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is that you don't have the Star Wars music as you enter in transition to defend the Imagineers who created Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. What they are trying to do is make a very subtle hear the sounds of, of, um, the forest, hear the sounds of a distant, um, space, um, a landing area where ships are coming to and from and to hear those subtleties in the sound effects. So so sound effects actually play a much bigger role than music in this. But it does work um and and so you could take it or there's there's rationale for it but and you could take it or leave it. But what you have to agree with is this this mountain feature and how it weaves a turn into the encampment is a very cool transition by the way when you are Disneyland you have the same experiences in Frontierland and in Fantasyland as you transition into uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge you don't have the same experience on the far end where you are at Critter Country you just use natural landscaping to actually get you to the Rebel Encampment but as you get toward um, the um, Black Spire outpost of Batuu, you actually go through some very clever tunnels there that are that are very comparable to what we're talking about. All right, from here, I wanna to move to Disneyland Paris. This is probably the thing that inspired this podcast is a little place called Achalette de la Marionette. I, my French is terrible, but what this essentially is, is Pinocchio's Village House. You have one at at the Magic Kingdom. It was the first. You have a secondary one that has been at Disneyland, although it's been replaced by a Beauty and the Beast theme. What's very interesting is that at the, in Disneyland Paris, in well, in the other two, in most parks, you you if you're facing if you're facing Fantasyland, if you're facing Castle, and you move to the left. The next thing becomes either Liberty Square or Frontierland, but that area with the Rivers of America. And then the next thing becomes Adventureland. also happens that way at Tokyo Disneyland as well. At Disneyland Paris, they swapped Frontierland and made it more of a segue into Main Street. And they took Adventureland and made it into more of a segue into Fantasyland. Now you're asking yourself, how do you segue from Fantasyland Into Adventureland. Well, there are two major attractions that almost sit side by side, but belong in two different lands. On the Fantasyland side, you have Peter Pan's Flight, which takes you high over London, but eventually lands you where? In Never Never Land, where you confront the infamous Captain Hook. On the other side of this land, Moving into Adventureland, you have, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean. And, in fact, you have something called Adventure Isle, which celebrates Pirates of the Caribbean. Celebrates it so much that in the water of this Adventure Isle, in Adventureland, you actually have Captain Hook's pirate ship sitting in the water. So it becomes its own transition in and of itself as you move from Fantasyland to Adventureland. But what I find fascinating is how they did the same thing with a Swiss style Italian uh, restaurant, Pinocchio, Northern Italian restaurant, Pinocchio's Village House, or La Chateau de Milena, blah, blah, blah. And what they've done here, and you've got to see the images here. If you recall, Pinocchio's Village House is usually divided into little rooms that are themed to different characters in the film whether that be Cleo or the Blue Fairy, or do you remember Monstro? Monstro's room in Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom overlooks the glass panes that look down on its small world. Well, here they've taken the Monstro side and made it the portion as you you go into the restaurant, the portion to the right. And that whole section of the restaurant then transitions over to Adventureland. But here, rather than having um, little paintings on the wall of Monstro and so forth, what they've done is they have taken um, elements of what would be a tavern-type style and put it in the interior. You have a lot of barrels. You have a lot of stained glass. You have ships' flags. You have oars. You have nautical-style instruments. You have nets and... um, and other instruments of fishing. Even chairs, even the wingback chairs in one portion of this has sort of an anchor style look if you look at the images. So the interior is just very, very nautical and very much of a tavern on the sea kind of thing. Go to the exterior and you see that it too plays out, taking kind of um, washed away. Um, elements of ships and other building parts that have floated to uh, to the shore um, through the flotsam and jetsam of, of of the beaches, and you know you've seen old wood that's been washed up on the shore. These become the elements that frame out that side of the restaurant facing. Adventureland. And from there, it then moves over to the jungle. It really is a very clever transition. And it's mirrored by that same set of transition elements on the other side, where we move from Peter Pan's Flight to Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, I'm going to move to what is truly the most original transition ever created in a Disney park. And that transition is Disneyland. The entrance from Disneyland all the way on to Main Street and down the street to the castle is actually a not only a a major transition, but it was really kind of the original transition because it was taking you from California freeways into the happiest place on earth. For those of you who don't go back as far as um, I do, People like me remember when just outside the gates of Disneyland was a big parking lot. And that big parking lot was essentially, well, it was just what drove you into, um, uh, that parking lot was really what, um, what just, you walked from the parking lot. They had trams too, but a lot of times if you were first there in the morning, you just walked a few feet. Uh, If you can imagine the esplanade between there and, of course, Disney California Adventure was the parking lot, but there was an esplanade. If you um, think about the monorail beams, they were framed out with photos of um, attraction posters or images of attraction posters that were silk screened and placed in glass. Again, part of kind of an part of the outer lobby the the parking lot was the outer lobby of this experience as you went in it and um it's now the it's now the esplanade which is the outer lobby it's a much nicer outer lobby than before but you went from the outer lobby to the ticket booths ticket booths used to to hug the entrance to the park much closer now they're on both sides east and west of the esplanade but you then went into, this is all a theater metaphor because Disney is based out of theater. And by the way, this is there's a video if you want to see this that I have uniquely on YouTube. You By the way, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, J. Jeff Kober. But you move from the theater um, or you move from the outer lobby into the, um, past the ticket booth and then you move in toward um, the entry of the park where you present your ticket and then you move into what's referred to as the inner lobby. So that area that happens between where you show your ticket and where you go underneath the portals on both sides of the train station, that whole train train station entrance is the inner lobby as people like Van France and others uh, early imagineers, all of them use this metaphor. You, the portals on each side, um, those are the portals where you would see the sign that says, here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy. These become lobby corridors inside the theater. And what's on each side? Posters showing upcoming attractions, or in this case, attractions that you would visit while you're in Walt Disney or in Disneyland. And then from there you go into Main Street, which is the theater itself, and then onto the show itself as you as you move down the street toward Sleeping Beauty Castle. This is the ultimate and original transition, and really the subtlety of moving you from what is a freeway to a parking lot through ticket booths through through. Um, Uh, the entrance with the floral Mickey and underneath the portals and onto main street, that subtle transition is probably uh, the best laid out. I would say the best laid out, except when they built Walt Disney world, they took this thing to an entirely bigger level because here you're not transitioning from the freeway into the park, into a theme park. But rather, you're transitioning from a freeway passing a stopping point through Florida to ultimately a paradigm of an entire resort stay experience. So getting people to come off of I-4 or off the roads or off the freeways down World Drive. Now, of course, now we have the Walt Disney World entrance sign that's framed out that didn't actually get built into Walt Disney world until the latter end of the 1990s. In the original days, again, I'm dating myself, but in the original days you were actually passing by signs that looked like you were going to a national park. They were, they were brown and yellow signs and those were the only signs you saw that said you're here. Um, Eventually, and that's a whole nother story of how we got to this, but But it became obvious that there needed to be something to say, we are here. This is a huge emotional moment. In fact, it's one of a couple of different emotional moments. We have arrived at Walt Disney World. Whether you're coming by car or plane, you need that moment to say, we have arrived. You're coming underneath a portal again. That's why the sign, just like an entry sign into Adventureland or Frontierland or Tomorrowland maybe, but here you've got a portal entrance saying Walt Disney World. You go in, you park your car, and you separate yourself from the car. The tram, the courtesy tram, uh, when it was working, very faithful in the old days, it, still, it now works again. Notice how the tram actually comes underneath a road and up into your drop-off point. Again, another portal that you are going through in order to get to your next destination. This is... This is Oh, by the way, I should also mention that we have also moved through the um, uh, the portal where we, uh, where we have paid for parking. That too is an additional portal. Um, but then we move into the TTC, having gone underneath the portal with the tram, the courtesy tram. Here at the TTC, the idea was to separate people Separate their wallet from the remainder of their experience, and to give them a space of time to transition from that moment where, oh my gosh, we got to pay for these tickets, to now we can go and enjoy the park. Now, critics have said, and rightly so, um, we're doing a re- Disney's doing a really bad job of reminding you where your wallet is in your back pocket, uh, or where your purse is, um, as or where your <laughs> Where your credit card app is on your phone as you go through the experience it keeps reminding you that but the original idea was to separate your wallet from the remainder of the experience while you're standing in line there you're looking above and you see these monorails whisking by and you're going wow look at that monorail we want to ride that going into the magic kingdom and so you're excited in the energy level. Think about the first time you rode the monorail. There is, a, there is an excitement and energy. Or maybe you took a much more subtle transition via a ferry boat, which carefully glides across the water past these resort hotels. Of course, the monorail is going not past the resort hotels, but also through a resort hotel, the contemporary. But all of these things are now subtly outlining the idea that, hey... We're not just a little one-day park. We're an entire resort experience and they're bringing you into it. It's not like turn, you know, turn off the road and go this direction to to the hotels. No, you are in the middle of this corridor of hotels going through and heading ultimately to the Magic Kingdom. You think about being on the monorail or being on the ferry, doesn't matter which but the excitement and anticipation of seeing Cinderella Castle in the distance this focal point is so such a highlight of and is such a moment of anticipation for guests i was on the monorail just the other day and there was there were families pointing hey there's the castle see the castle kids this happens again and again every day every time a monorail goes by every time the ship or the fairy heads toward the Magic Kingdom. And then, of course, once you're off of that, you then go into the inner lobby, which is the area right in front of the Mickey floral portrait and the um, train station under the portals. Again, the signs, just like Disneyland, of upcoming attractions in the form of attraction posters. And then finally into the theater where you are immersed into the show. This is the biggest transition, the most expensive transition that was ever created by Disney. It had a powerful ability to convince people that this was not just a stop-off daytime a a, a day a day-long stop off on the way to Mighty Miami or on the way to the beaches. This made the point that this is the place to be, the place to stay. This is where we needed to have our vacation. It is a powerful experience. It is also an expensive one and not one that's been replicated ever since by having this, because it's so expensive, moving gas by ferry and monorails back and forth between the parking lot and uh, and into a park, so it's never been replicated again. But it served the purpose since 1971, 50 years ago, over 50 years ago, of convincing people that this was a resort experience. We are transitioning you from a a concept that this is a a drop by amusement locale to a. An entire resort experience. It's very powerful. All these, all of these examples we have talked about, from Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge to Disneyland Paris to to the Crystal Palace in, in Tokyo Disney. All of these examples are examples of how Imagineers have created a transition, and transitions are important. They are important to you to your focal to what you want to f- people to focus on. They're important to the emotional level of people as they go through an experience. They're important to, to the excitement and the, and the energy level of the people you are trying to cater to. So these variables, we talked about several of them. We talked about how many times you pass through a portal. It's a transition, it is a rite of passage architecture and how architectural styles will blend from one place to another as you move throughout the experience. We talk about passageways, how you design, is it a straightaway, does it take a curve? Can you see the other end or are we trying to subtly move you from one place to the other? We talked about the power of landscaping and natural elements such as water and light being able to kind of move you through the experience. So if you go back to, I say, natural light, you think about how there's a shadow as you go through the portal and Grand Avenue into Galaxy's Edge. Again, it's a subtle thing, but it's part of that transition. Music and sound effects all play a role in this. The use of color, the use of wayfinding, directional signage, um, the use of... of um, of uh, fonts and color, um, visibility—all of these elements you can use in a hospital layout, in an office complex, in an auto dealership as you pull somebody through the process of buying a car. Even as you design a website, you can take these kinds of lessons. And you don't—you know—you may not have plants or paint on a website, but you are going to have these kinds of portals and these natural segues, and how do, you, how do you keep, how do you, nothing is more abrupt. For instance, in a website, then all of a sudden to look and feel like you're on a different site and it looks different, it feels different. And then you're kind of wondering, okay, where am I at? Have I been Have I been jumped to another point? If you're not intentional about that, you don't want to create for that. You want to create transitional points that navigate and make people feel easy about going from point A to point B. Well, we've talked a lot about just this one imagineering element of creating successful themed transitions. And, uh, and I hope this has been interesting and useful. Make sure you again check out Disney at Play.com where you see images and videos of all this play out. Also, make sure while you're there to check out the Wayfinder Society. That's our Patreon group, which encourages you to support this podcast. You can incur, you can support it by joining us on the um, on the Way in the Wayfinder Society. You can also go to your favorite um, your favorite uh, podcast delivery system and put in a good rating or review for this podcast. Again, we thank you for being part. We thank you for joining us. We hope you're having a terrific holiday. We've got more great podcasts to come. So stay tuned because uh, we've got a lot to share. Thanks. And in the words of Sinbad's Storybook Voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.